Hello, everyone. I am so grateful to be with you all today. I am in a very packed up house. We are leaving in six days. And so I wanted to take a little time to just decompress a little bit and to share what has been on my heart lately, which is the very, what we might consider basic topic of the mark of the Christian life. What does the Christian life look like? And I'm not sure to be honest, exactly why God has laid this topic on my heart today. I think a lot of it is me kind of processing through what my life looks like right now, what my character looks like and how I treat people, how I love people and how I can do that in a better way. I think that this move kind of has me in a place of transition and desiring freedom from the bondage of things that maybe I've allowed in my life for too long. And so I just wanted to share with you what Jesus is kind of reiterating to me, things that I have known, but that are so important to be reminded of. And my father-in-law in church, he will always say, he's a pastor, and he'll always say that you may leave church not remembering exactly what was said by the pastor. And you may look back 10 years from now and not be able to determine one single teaching and what it said specifically. I hope you are able to, but some of you may not be able to. And you may say, why did I go to church for 10 years if I can't recall one teaching? But he compares it to a wife who makes her husband a sandwich every single day for lunch for 10 years. He may not be able to remember or recall what those sandwiches were or what that food was specifically, but he is surely nourished and fed and sustained by those meals. And it's the same with us in the Christian walk that we attend church. We are not just Sunday Christians. We live out our faith, but we do attend church faithfully with our families because we are called to be a part of the body of Christ, but we also need that nourishment, that spiritual nourishment, and to be fed by the word of God regularly. And we are able to do that in community in the church because we have accountability and we have fellowship. And so it is a crucial part of the Christian life, but so are many other things. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to be a godly Christian? What does it mean to walk with good character, with virtue, with love, with grace? And how is that displayed to the world around us? So we'll kind of talk about everything. But before I even begin into looking into the true characteristics of the Christian life and heart, I want to be clear on something. The beauty of salvation is that nothing that we could ever do will make God love us less, and there's nothing that we could ever do to make Him love us more. Ephesians 2, 8-9 through 9 reminds us very importantly that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by your works so that no one can boast. We are not saved by how good we are. And this is a very, very common difference between a relationship and love of Jesus versus Mormonism, because Mormonism, while they have a belief in Jesus, they also have added documents, added works, also with Jehovah's Witnesses. They have added documents and works that is not a part of the Christian faith. Jesus saves us. Mormonism says good works saves you and gets you to different levels of heaven. That is not 
a relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship with Jesus Christ says, I surrender all. I realize, as it says in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that works do not save me. Works do not send me to heaven. Works are an actual organic response to the love of Christ, but they have no place in my salvation alone. So just to clarify with that, and I think we realize in falling short of the glory of God that we are depraved and we are broken from birth. And if I looked at my toddler, either toddler, Sutton or Saxon, and their greed or their selfishness or their common tantrums, we see that they are not perfect from birth, right? They are not necessarily tainted by the world. They are tainted by themselves. They've never seen me grab a toy from them, but they're quick to grab a toy from someone else. And so that is where we see sin from a very young age. And the wage of that sin from a young age onto adulthood is death or is hell. But the gift that God offers us is eternal life in heaven through Jesus. It is through Jesus alone that our hearts change. It is through Jesus alone that our lives change. It is through him that you, whoever you are listening today, hi, (laughs) whoever you are, wherever you are, that through him, you are washed white as snow and cleansed from all of your shame, all of your past decisions, and you're brought forward into a new heart and a new life. And whether you've been a Christian for one week or 15 years, this is the sweetest and most necessary reminder for us, this gospel truth, because we can see it as, oh, my old self before I was saved but you still have junk. You still have the mess, the temptation, the sin that maybe comes from your past circumstances or it could even be new, but we are delivered from that and we are to live as if we've been delivered from that. So if it's something that has started a sin that has started in your life in motherhood or a sin that is reoccurring in your marriage, Christ died for that. He died for you to give you a new heart and a new life. That wasn't just when you were saved. He is constantly purifying you. And so we get the freedom to live out repentance and asking God for forgiveness and turning from that sin because Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins and to rescue us from hell. And salvation, which is the forgiveness of our sins, is available to anyone who asks Jesus into their heart and trusts him as their savior. And so with that said, when we truly know and follow Jesus, good fruit is to be seen in our lives. It just organically follows. It again is not how we're saved, but it is something that is is an organic, natural response when we've surrendered our lives to the Lord. And we desire to live this changed life. It's not a forced thing to stop doing these things we used to do or reacting this way or speaking to people this way or sitting in unforgiveness we are able to see what God has done for us. We experience it in its fullness in being forgiven and being loved and being changed. And therefore we want to offer that to other people. One of the most common verses that I cite um, often because it's very impactful for me says, if you claim to live in Jesus, you must walk as he did. Friends, to just know of him is not enough. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 is a verse that has always kind of petrified my husband and I and really challenged us and calls us up toward Christ and toward a faithful life. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's also a verse that says, even the demons believe in God and they shudder. Just to believe is not enough. To surrender your life and allow him to be your all in all is everything. James 2, 14 through 17 says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for their body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It is not by works that we are saved or loved. It is the gift of God alone. But good works and good character are a natural progression in the Christian life because we are Christ's workmanship and we are his disciples on earth. So what does this life look like? Let's dive in. We were never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heart work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy Podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee to get through the day and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy, and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. So when I was younger, I was probably one of the most (laughs) immodest girls in the world. Um, I was not saved. I wore a lot of extremely inappropriate clothing, which looking back, I just do not know what on earth I was thinking or what I was trying for. But I think it was just the attention seeking, um, the desire to be seen, to be loved, to be known and pushed out in a very improper way. (laughs) And my mom would constantly talk to me about class and modesty and biblical modesty and God's plan for sex and marriage and the beauty behind all of that. But I was a little brat and I would roll my eyes. And I remember one time I was wearing this, I laugh now, but the zebra print shirt that literally went all the way down to my belly button. Like it barely covered me. And then there was a slit down the middle and I'm probably 16 years old. My mom told me if I wore the shirt out, I couldn't live there anymore, that she would kick me out to go and live with my dad, which I know was her way after talking to me many, many, many times of trying to get me to understand the gravity of kind of what I was doing. And I understood that and I put on a coat and I ran out the door anyway. And she and I obviously (laughs) had it out a little bit after that, but I know 
what she was doing. And I look back and I think, gosh, if I had just listened to her, if I had just understood where she was coming from, it would have saved me so much hurt. And so I've studied modesty as a whole. And while, you know, purity culture has really pushed modesty as the way that you dress and kind of us being the reason that men struggle, that is not the truth. Men are called to pluck out their eyeballs if they struggle with lust, right? They are to handle their own hearts. But for me, and I can only speak for myself, my lack of modesty stemmed from a place of wanting attention from someone other than God. It stemmed from desiring to be seen and lusted after. I wanted that. And there was the issue. It was a root issue within me. It was a heart issue within me. It was ultimately a God issue within me. And so when I look at modesty, it is not everything that this purity culture has created it to be. It is a matter of the heart. It is the mark of a Christian. It is what my mom preached to me over and over again when I was a young girl and growing up as a teenager. It is righteousness, goodness, value, respectability, decency, and holiness. And so I'm starting this with the idea and concept of modesty as clothing because it's been so ingrained in our minds that that's all that this is. But I want to break that stigma, if you will, and challenge the notion of what it means to live a modest life, a holy life, a righteous life as a Christian. It should be the life that others see in us because of who Christ is to us. It is our mark as a Christian. First Timothy 2, 9 through 10 says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So contrary to popular belief, this well-known scripture is not only focusing on the clothing and the beauty. It is referring primarily, if you look into scripture in a context, to these women boasting in their wealth. These pearls and expensive clothes are an act of putting their wealth and their belongings on display rather than displaying their virtuous heart or their good deeds before God and gifted by God. And so this is a heart issue. It is a pride issue and they are displaying it. The Bible says that we are a light, right? We're we're intended to be the light of Christ so that we can make disciples and show them his love. But these things are often hindered by our pride or our stubbornness or our greed or our envy or our sexual promiscuity. It can be compacted into any one thing, but it just it is a focus on ourselves rather than on God. And it is a focus on our lack of love and decency and virtue rather than a focus on who God is in us and through us that we display to other people. So in that verse in 1 Timothy 2.9, Paul is using the word cosmios to describe how a woman should present herself, which is translated as modest or respectable. But hear me out. Paul also uses that same word in 1 Timothy 3, 2, when he's outlining the qualities that men need to have in order to be overseers. And in that translation, it's translated as respectable or of good behavior. So the same word cosmos is being used to refer to respectable, of good behavior, and modest, all one in the same. So let us properly shift our perspective It's an issue of the heart. Modesty as a whole is an issue of the heart. 
Promiscuity is an issue of the heart. Lust is an issue of the heart. Drunkenness is an issue of the heart. These are all God issues. This respectability, this self-worth, this servanthood and humility is what stems from the salvation that God has given us. And so I am here to call you up and myself up because some of these topics that we're going to discuss are difficult. And I pray that as we go through them, you don't dismiss them or make excuses or justifications based on your current circumstances, but that you'll instead hear it for yourself, not for any of your friends or family members that you will listen in for yourself, for your own heart and seek to be holy as God is holy. Because whether you're 18 or 88, that call from God remains the same, to be holy as he is holy. And a lot of us see holiness on this grand scale, like God in heaven, you know, with roads lined with gold, but no, God is holy. God himself, the relationship that we have with him is holy. And he wants us to live that out on earth in human form. So with that in mind, we are considering the fact that God has called us to more, right? He, we look at the world, we see the world, we see it so vividly through Instagram and the news and how people are living. And we begin to justify it as allowed or permitted or okay within our world. And so I want to share with you what the Bible says about our lives and the way that they should look. So if you have your Bible, you could open to Romans 12, 9. If you don't, and you're driving in the car and listening, or if you're doing laundry, I see you and I understand. So I will read it to you. So Romans beginning in 12, 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves. And I always, when I read these, sorry to interrupt, but as I read this, I always try to envision myself in a difficult relationship or in a situation in the past where maybe I did not live this out as well, because it helps me to self-evaluate. You guys know, as I do in the Wife Project um, from Roommates to Soulmates course, I talk so much about the importance of self-examination rather than pointing fingers. As my husband always says, you point one finger and you have three pointing right back at you. So consider a situation where this can be pertinent and relevant to you to help you really grasp the importance of this call. So I'll start again. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Open your doors, friends. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. This verse calls us not to compete or be envious or jealous, but to celebrate the people in our lives, celebrate their accomplishments, even if they're accomplishing more than you and mourn with those who mourn. Don't disengage or shut down from people who are having a hard time. This is a struggle of mine, but be empathetic and loving. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, anyone (laughs) evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not 
take revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And what that means is ultimately you're not trying to harm them by doing these things. You are showing them the love and the goodness of God. This comes from the concept that in the Bible times, people would carry hot coals in a basket on their heads to their neighbors to warm their fireplace, to soothe them, to care for their family. And by doing this, even though it's probably the last thing you want to do for an enemy, you are warming their home. You are warming their heart. You are showing them the love of Jesus. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what a calling that is, right? It is one that we need to sit in often. And one I challenge you to sit in even today, because let us consider kind of break some of these down. When comparison steals your joy, when you see someone with a better marriage or a more beautiful home or succeeding in an area you wish you could have tried or been accomplished in, it is a struggle to rejoice with them when they're healthier than we are. We don't want to celebrate them. It is not our fleshly response to do so. Um, going to anxiety when we are busy, when we are distracted and we have this anxiety and this depression, we kind of seep into that and we feel sorry for ourselves so often. And we allow that to lead to a pity party or isolation from other people rather than rejoicing in hope. Or maybe when we're dealing with failure ourselves, or we're dealing with financial loss or a divorce, and it causes us to feel defeated rather than being patient in that tribulation. Or when the concept of politics creates this division within our family and our friendships, and we curse those who curse us and we wish them harm, maybe not vocally, but mentally and emotionally. Or when we are constantly distracted by our phones and are not constant in prayer. Throughout scripture, you guys, we see that a godly Christian with a respectable and a modest heart is someone who honors their spouse with their words, their thoughts, and their actions, that they are not acting a certain way or being passive aggressive or emotionally manipulating. You can hear more about marriage stuff again on the Wife Project. I'll have a link um, in my bio, but also in my show notes to sign up for the wait list for when it launches again. But I also have podcast episodes with Jesse where we talk about these things. So you can go back and listen to those as well. A modest heart, a, a person with a modest heart is also someone who cares for others and lays their lives down to serve and to love. They are a person who withholds their tongue from gossip, including in Bible studies or venting sessions or beer night with your buddies. We are not fooling anyone, you guys, when we're venting or throwing out so-and-so's names so that we can pray for them or get counsel for them, that is gossip. We are to go to someone to seek counsel for our own hearts, not to, to destroy someone's name or throw dirt on their name. A respectable Christian is someone who cares for their own health, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. A person who is slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. Um, Not my strong suit, y'all, especially in motherhood. And then they are a person who is not a slave to wine or alcohol or any other crutch like social media, which I would say is a very, very common addiction. I have multiple episodes on this as well. Six ways that your phone is changing you and social media heart check. 
we really dive into what it means to have this addiction to your phone and to kind of be missing out on the life that's right in front of you. Also, it's a person who pursues wisdom and pursues the Lord for the sake of their own heart and for that of their family. Proverbs 14.1 says, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Ephesians 5 calls the husbands up to love their wives as he loves himself, as his own body, and to love her as Christ loves the church. And in doing so, it will flow out onto the rest of his family. These are callings to pursue the Lord and to do things that are not a natural response within our flesh, but to live in the spirit. And so I want to remind you all, because this is just a very important thing that has resonated with me that God spoke to me one time when I was in the shower randomly, but the four walls of our home say a lot about us. The four walls of your home say a lot about you. You are not in front of the world. You are not in front of a social media, you know, photo where you're just putting on a perfect face or a perfect caption. You are in your reality. You are in the four walls of your home where you can let loose. You can be yourself. And so I want to ask you, are you a respectable individual within the four walls of your home? Would you be ashamed, friends, if your life was on display on a television show unedited or on a billboard? Would you be proud of how you treat your husband, how you treat your children, how you treat your friends or talk about your friends or family members within the walls of your home? Or would you be ashamed? Would you be embarrassed in front of a group of your friends if people knew how you spoke to your husband or your wife or your daughter-in-law or how you spoke about others within your church or in your workplace? I think this is the best way to truly assess our character as Christians because our home is our safe place. This is what people don't, uh, start that over. Because our home is our safe place. This is where we feel free to pour out what is really in our hearts. So are we respectable within the four walls of our home? Are we living out a Christian life? If not, what is in your heart will pour out eventually. And so work through those things that you would be ashamed of with God through prayer, through repentance, through reading of the word and through accountability. So this is the lens I'd love for you to hear the podcast through. Proverbs eleven twenty two says, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. And I'm speaking to men as well, but obviously I have mostly women listening to the podcast. But Solomon uses the word discretion to describe the capacity to use tasteful judgment. A discreet, respectable, modest Christian uses their own tasteful judgment in every area of their lives, including within the walls of their home. So what does this look like? What is tasteful judgment? Tasteful judgment is to be had with our words and with our opinions. If we go back to COVID and the masks, no masks debate, politics, opinions on family matters, are we using gracious and gentle words when people are have conflicting thoughts or when they don't agree with what we believe? Are we loving them? We look at Jesus and his life. He 
was friends with the sick. He said, I came not to heal the well, but to heal the sick. He sat with prostitutes. He loved prostitutes. He sat with sinners. Are we living in a way we saw in Romans 12, it says, do not be above others. Do not be conceited or think of yourselves as more. Are we doing that with those that we see differently or who view things differently than us? Are we loving them? Do we have tasteful judgment with our time? Are we looking our children in their eyes? Are we playing on the floor instead of staring at our phones all the time? Are you using your God-given time, the very, very limited time? Oh my gosh, Sutton just turned six yesterday and I am like freaking out at how quickly time is flying with him. And everyone always tells you that time flies, time flies. It's such a cliche, but I wish we would hear it more intently. I wish that we would listen and realize what impact that actually has on our lives. Are we using this very limited time to serve Jesus, to make disciples of all nations? Or are we wasting this precious time on our own selfish indulgences? And YOLO, you only live once. It's not true. We go to heaven. (laughs) Jesse reminds me of that when I want to travel every single month. Are we using our tasteful judgment in pursuing sex and intimacy to strengthen our marriages? Or are we making excuses and justifications and saying we have a headache and allowing the enemy to get a very deep foothold in our relationship when we are not being intimate or having sex? Are we wasting our days with hobbies while there are lost people all over the world and in our own neighborhoods? in need of hope and truth and salvation, and sometimes just love and a warm meal on the table. Like there are probably so many people in our neighborhoods that we don't even realize spend Thanksgiving or Christmas by themselves. Are we serving them? Are we loving them? Are we serving where we can? Even if you have two really little children or a very busy career, this life is not about that. We will never wish at the end of our lives that we had worked more or spent more time time on Instagram posting photos or scrolling through stories? Are we sitting in our own little bubble without considering the needs of the people around us? That is what matters. So are you friends, are you using tasteful judgment in this season of your life and everything and everything that you do and the way that you think and the way that you love and the way that you feel? John Piper said, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I am calling luxuries my needs instead. So he's saying I'm calling things that are actual luxuries. I'm calling them necessities and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing, missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. It's a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. You guys, this is a fight against darkness. It is I fight, imagine the riots in our world in this past year, that fight to stand for something people believe in on either side. It is a a war against the darkness. Look at the darkness that has overtaken America right now. 
we think we're fighting people with different belief systems. We are fighting something so much heavier than that. We are fighting against darkness and principalities and the dark kingdom and the enemy. And that might feel foreign to you and you may not understand, but I'm going to actually do a series on what the Bible really says about things. And we're going to talk about Satan and the enemy and why that understanding of who he is and what he does is so important to the Christian faith in order to fight against it. I strongly recommend the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. If you've never read it, he writes from the perspective of just a demonic um, perspective where you can see the fight against our goodness and our spirituality and our Christianity and our love for Jesus. And so much of that plays out in the world around us. And it flows from generation to generation to our children. Every day is a war within our world. Are we putting on our spiritual armor of truth, of righteousness, of peace, of faith, of salvation, of God's word and prayer in order for us to actually use our time for what matters to have a real eternal purpose on this earth. So kind of transitioning now, respectability, I want to move on to self-worth and self-care. So the world defines self-worth as confidence in one's own worth or abilities. So I am thankful that I do not have to live by that standard, that I do not have to be confident in my own worth or my own abilities because my life, I will tell you, would be an absolute dumpster fire like it was when I was a teenager. I fail every single day. I have been married for almost 10 years now and there are moments in my marriage where I swore I would never say the D word. We will never say divorce and yet I have threatened to leave. I have had moments of weakness where I've packed my bags and taken the kids. This happened one time, but it was a very big deal. I packed my bags and I grabbed the kids and I left the house without giving Jesse an opportunity to have a conversation, threats and yelling and anger and frustration in a way that led us to a really, really dark place for a season. But in that, Christ came through and redirected me to see that my marriage is a commitment for the sake of the kingdom and there is so much more work to do and my selfishness cannot trump this ultimate eternal purpose. So the world says that self-worth is all of these things. It's creating these crazy boundaries so that nobody is ever allowed to fail in our lives. It is distancing ourselves from people who challenge us and call us up. It is focusing so much on self that if our spouse messes up with us or fails us or does anything against what we want, that we then have the freedom to, to just move on and leave. But the Bible says our confidence is not in that. It is not in our self-worth. It is in God's worth in us. Psalm 139, 13 through 15 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. For I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. A lie that you may believe far too often, especially as a woman, is that you have to choose between your family and your dreams. But the Proverbs 31 woman defies that stereotype. She was both a mother and a businesswoman. She worked hard for her family and used the giftings that God had given her to provide for her home. 
She had both ambition and faith, and she was honored. Friends, if you have a gift, use it to make God's name known. Share your story, share your passions, share your life. I have spent the past five years relentlessly studying and implementing all things marketing, blogging, entrepreneurship, small business, and podcasting, while also being a stay-at-home mama of two boys. Now with over 6 million blog readers, over 600,000 total podcast downloads, and tens of thousands of social media followers, I'm able to make an income for my family. I feel so passionate about this business and helping others to pursue those dreams, and I want to share everything I've learned with you, whether you're a mom of five or a college student. Do you want to be a travel blogger? Would you love to share your voice and launch a podcast? I can help you. I'm so excited to be offering one-on-one personalized business coaching for anyone with a dream to share their story, create a ministry, or build a platform. During our two and a half hour coaching session, I'll customize everything specifically for you by looking over your website and social media to give honest and helpful feedback that will help you grow. I'll teach you how to use Pinterest to make money even if you don't have any followers, because if you're not using it yet, you're really missing out. And we'll talk all things Instagram, Facebook, branding, monetization, all in simple to understand terms. I will provide you with two free customizable media kits, a list of my 20 influencer websites that you can join right away to start collaborating with small and large brands, exclusive group board invites on Pinterest, and Facebook group invites to help get more eyes on your business right away. I always say she didn't do it better. She just did it. What is that one thing that you have always wanted to do, but you've never done? You will never succeed if you don't ever try, but you have a great chance at succeeding if you at least try. You don't ever want to live in regret. So if you are interested in this personalized coaching, just email livingeasypodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's livingeasypodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in this coaching and hearing about how I can help you specifically, I'll talk to you soon. So when I read this verse, kind of doing this study, I saw the the verse, the part where it says made in secret. And it stood out to me because I learned recently, especially with a career kind of in the public eye, I mean, obviously very minimal, but it is still, I'm still watched by some people that those moments in secret, that growth that I have alone without anyone watching, those moments of triumph or those moments of even brokenness, those are the ones that stand the test of time. I have had moments in the shower. I always swear that God speaks to me (laughs) the most in the shower because it's the only time when I can like lock my door and be totally alone and sit with my thoughts But those are the moments when I am in tears over my motherhood and the growth that I want to see, my marriage and, and the desires that I have for our future and the impact that we're making on our boys, the moments that I'm worn down and just broken by the needs of those around me that I wish that I could fix and I can only lift up in prayer. Those are the secret moments hidden from my community that where I'm not putting on an appearance or I'm not feeling the need to be someone else. But it's the moments when I can be real with myself and I can say, who am I? What am I here for? God, what are you calling me to, to where I need you to do your great work within me because I am a hot mess and I need help. So what are those moments for you? 
where you have those hidden secret moments where God is saying, like in Psalm 139, that I am making you in secret. I am knitting you together, not only in your mother's womb, but I am knitting you together now as an adult, as a mother, as a grandmother, as a college student, I am knitting you together. These are the secret moments where we should be pouring our hearts out to God and allowing Him to prune us, to make us more like Him in secret within the four walls of our home, just as He created us from the beginning in secret. And so you can be in your room, you can be in your home isolated, and you are still in the presence of God. You are still in the creator, the majestic creator. You are still in His presence in those moments if we really like think that through through that and process through that, it is a gift that Christ is present in the most mundane moments of our lives. I think that's something that should be embraced and acknowledged more often than we probably do now. And sometimes I get this and I, I didn't really fully understand it when I became a Christian because I was so confused how people could grow numb to a testimony and to God's like changing work because it was so powerful to me. But now being in church for a long time, I understand it more that the more we're in church, the more sidetracked we can become with other things. And we start to place them in the position that they do not belong. We put them where God belongs. We see them as so important and valuable in our lives when, again, going back to the grand purpose of everything, they're really nothing. So are you still finding so much joy in pursuing the heart of God deeper? Or have you grown numb or tainted by the church or by your own experiences? I just want to challenge you to find that value in Jesus alone, to restore your faith, just like Romans, as we read, to be faithful, to be zealous in our faith, and and to have a passion for God like we did when we were first saved. Luke 12, six through seven says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And Galatians 2, 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our worth as stated in this scripture is in him alone. So what are you guys seeking your self-worth in today as you drive your kids to summer camp or you do laundry or dishes or drive to work? What was your focus on? What is your focus on? How are you feeling validated or invalidated this week? What are the areas in your life that you are trying to fill and satisfy yourself, whether it's being seen as a good mom? I'm very excited for an upcoming episode that I have on a healthy motherhood and kind of talking about idolatry and asceticism which is kind of like a self-inflicted punishment in our motherhood and what an actual biblical healthy motherhood looks like. That will be coming out soon, so keep an eye out for it. But are you trying to validate yourself through your motherhood or through your marriage or through your career and your success or through likes on social media? What is it that you are seeking out? I wanna challenge you to drop that. Drop it, let it go, place it at the foot of the cross and release it to God. He promises to carry your burdens and to remove that weight from your soul and from your head and from your heart. 
He alone is your quote unquote self-worth. He alone is your validation. And so when we're seeking it from all these other places, what's going to happen, you guys? When we are seeking validation from the empty things of the world, we are going to feel empty. That's all that it is. It's going to keep us longing and finding more and more things to try to satisfy. It's like trying to fill a broken glass with water over and over and over again. What does Albert Einstein say? The definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. That's what we're doing. When we expect these relationships in our lives or these successes or these pretty things or clothes or home decor items to satisfy, we are filling a broken glass. For me, people's words have a very, very heavy impact and effect on me. And even as I speak now, I struggle with the idea of disappointing people or leading you astray or or confusing you or anything. And I have to constantly repent and reposition my perspective in my own mind to not find value in praise or in criticism. I am not defined by your opinion of me. None of you. I am not defined by my husband's opinion of me or my children's opinion of me. These are all roles that are very important to me and that I see the value in, but they are not the things that fill me or define me. So I just encourage you to sit with that, to find what it is in you that you're searching for and write it down, journal it. I promise it helps you guys. I know people fight against it, but it really does help. So just sit in that thought, what am I searching for to fill me? If you've been a Christian for 30 years, you're likely still doing this. So what is it? There's a story in John 21, 3 that really impacted me. And it's where Peter is telling the disciples that he's going out to fish. So they go out onto the boat and the verse says at the end, but they caught nothing. So shortly before this, before he catches no fish, Peter had denied Jesus three times. He also, as you all probably know, acted very impulsively and cut off someone's ear. So he's in this moment having a really hard time navigating his emotions, navigating his spirituality, navigating his life. And he's probably thinking, oh my gosh, I'm a mess. And we look at this story and we think, okay, how could he deny Christ? He knew him. He watched him perform miracles. He watched him heal the sick. He's been a witness to Christ's sinless life this entire time. How could he let his emotions or fear of man get the best of him? But then we look at ourselves, at our own fear, our own selfishness, our own sin, and we see how quickly it can overcome us. So today, if you have a small view of God, you guys, if you are, are minimizing him in your life, if you're minimizing the importance of prayer, minimizing the depth of relationship that you can gain from reading his word, I want you to go back to that secret quiet moment thing we talked about. Not when we're raising our hands up in church and singing as loud as we can or showing our Bible study to all of our friends, but our quiet alone time with the Lord alone and what that looks like. Because if we have a small view of who God is in our homes and of his worth and value in our lives, we're going to have a really, really difficult time finding his purpose for our lives and our value in ourselves. And eventually those raised hands are going to turn into distraction and falling away and doing something else with our time. What flows from the heart is what's real. 
even though our heart is deceitful and it tells us we want different things, if your words and your thoughts and your temptations and what happens when your door is locked and in your room by yourself, whatever those things are, that is the real struggle. That is your view of yourself and your view of God. And so not that God cannot replenish your heart and sanctify you of those things, but it is the reality in your own mind of who you think God is to you. And that view of God, you guys, forms and affects everything that you do and everything that you are. You get one pass at this life. That's it. Only one. And we often say, we'll do this later. As we say in Albuquerque, land of manana, land of tomorrow. I'm in a hard season. It's just not right for me right now. Or I'm not in a good headspace for that. But tomorrow is never promised to you. And the lasting measure of the good Christian life is Jesus Christ alone. And so as we look at the life of Jesus and we look back at kind of what we talked about with self-care and the contrast between that and selfishness, we see that self-care is focused on the Lord pouring into us so that we can pour into others. And this is biblical self-care. This is not the world's self-care. Biblical self-care says, God, pour into me so I can pour into someone else. But selfishness is all about us. Selfishness is what I believe the world calls personal self-care because it's all about us and making myself better and bettering me and making myself grander and greater and more and better. When God says, no, I call you to die to yourself and follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. So there is a difference between selfishness and self-care. And I do not believe that self-care is what the world says it is because self-care is servitude. It takes humility and it takes a humble understanding of who God is to us. One of my favorite quotes about humility um, by C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of oneself. It is thinking of oneself less. Matthew 20, 28 reminds us, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The world preaches self, but the world is broken. And it does not take much for us to see that. It takes a glimpse on Twitter or on Instagram or on the news or TikTok to see the brokenness that surrounds us. And so I want to encourage you that if you're feeling suffocated by the state of our world right now, by the state of your community or your church or your network, if you feel burdened or worn down or exhausted or fearful of what your future might look like, or you're just not seeing a straight path for what you're hoping for your life, I challenge you to give of your time and your talents and your treasures, to reach out to other people in need and to get outside of yourself. Because sometimes all we need to do in our lives to kind of clear our minds and our hearts is to show up and ask, what is something I can do to make this week easier for someone else? Or ask them to have coffee, ask a neighbor to have coffee. Who is a person maybe as you're listening to this podcast episode who's popping up in your mind right now? I want to look at Jesus in Mark chapter 6, 33. It says, But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. When does Jesus not have compassion? This has been such an eye-opener for me lately. 
he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him that that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give to them to eat? Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. You guys, the 12 disciples come up against their own limitations. They don't know what to do. They had spent considerable time serving and healing the sick in Jesus' name at this time. I think we can look at them and say, oh my gosh, how selfish that they wanted to send the people away. But they were weary with serving. They had already served a lot and they had no leisure, it says, to even eat from the ministry that they had continued to do. And so from this point, Jesus, the word about him was spreading. People knew who he was and the crowds had followed him wherever he journeyed. And Jesus had just encouraged the disciples to get away for some rest from their service. Yet another crowd saw them and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns. And so I imagine the disciples are thinking, oh my gosh, I'm an empty battery. I have nothing left in my tank. I'm exhausted, right? Because they had just been ministering. How can we minister to these people adequately? And Jesus had just himself been preaching and teaching and healing. And imagine always being on. I mean, those of you in ministry or in the church, you know this feeling. You're always on. You're always praying for others. You're always serving those in need. But Jesus had compassion, I love that word. I love it so much. And the verse, be kind and compassionate to one another was actually the first memory verse I ever taught my boys. And so I love that in spite of Jesus' exhaustion, because exhaustion often leads us to feeling frustrated, right? Or defeated or depleted or selfish. Jesus still had compassion. And so I wanna ask you, in what areas of your life are you exhausted and lacking that compassion? Let us use and take Jesus' example. He continued. He multiplied in spite of his weariness, in spite of the disciples' weariness, he still called them up and he still calls you up to serve, to love, to open your home and to be a safe haven for those people in your life. And it blessed the people and surely it blessed the disciples and Jesus. So keep in mind, God did continue on. Jesus does continue on and you are to continue on. He also does command us to rest. And so we need that Sabbath time, but that Sabbath time is not spent YOLOing, okay? That Sabbath time is spent in God's word so that we can move forward, having been poured into so that we can pour out. So when I'm growing weary, you guys, and I know this so well for myself, especially in this season with the move, I am so weary, which is one of the reasons I wanted to record this episode because I knew it would fill me just as it already is. One of the first things for me to fly out the window is love for other people. I feel like the rest of my actions that follow my life when love is gone are useless. 
So we must make the change that our lives need. We need to be mindful about looking outside of the needs of ourselves to go above and beyond to serve our families, to serve your husband and your wife and to serve your friends. And so (laughs) as I'm even like talking about this, I'm like, you guys are probably thinking, okay, Lindsay, what is it? Which one is it? You want me to go to my neighbor's house, cook people meals. You want me to serve my husband or my wife, have a lot of sex, talk to my friends consistently, tell my kids about Jesus, serve in the church and have a Sabbath. Yes. (laughs) Yes. The answer is yes. I would also say though, that all of these things, they do go hand in hand. When you give this over to Jesus and you are filled with the spirit and you ask for the energy and the strength, he will give you the passion and the compassion and the longing to do that for people in a way that will fill you, not deplete you. I have experienced it. I have been weary and exhausted and feeling like I'm absolutely an utter failure but I also have felt the filling of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus in my life that refills and refreshes and restores me to go out and to serve my husband, to serve my children and to serve others, not without failure or weariness, but in my weakness, he is strong and that is where I rest. This is not a workspace life. Everything is pointing back to the grace poured out upon us by Jesus. So going back to the story of Peter, where he's fishing and no fish turn up and he has cut off someone's ear and he has denied Jesus, he ends up having breakfast with Jesus that day. And he could have allowed his shame to keep him from doing that. He could have bailed and he could have just said, you know what? I'm too embarrassed. I'm just not going to. But Jesus still showed up for him. Even though Peter had messed up, Jesus showed up. And so when we mess up, when we walk away, when we doubt our faith, we can often often begin to wonder, does God still love me? Where are you, Jesus? I don't understand. You walked away in my loneliest moments. But in John 21, Jesus is asking Simon Peter, do you love me? The question didn't have to come from Peter because Peter knew Jesus loved him. He was still showing up after Peter had failed. You guys, God's love is not confusing. He is love. It is not something that's based on your mistakes. He factored in all of your sins, all of your future mistakes before he died for those sins. Love, his love, his unconditional agape love endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and it never fails because that is who God is. So Jesus is saying, you need to decide whoever is listening to this podcast, you need to decide right now that I am the desire of your soul. Follow me. Don't go searching anywhere else for all these worldly temptations, for all this self-help, self-love, self-care. Follow me. The self-worth aspect, you guys, of modesty is so closely connected to our ultimate view of God's love and our closeness to him. Jesus promises us a future. The most common command in scripture is to fear not. And I think we so often fall into the struggle of fearing that God has walked away or that God doesn't care about us or that God will not forgive us. But he promises that he has a place prepared for you in heaven. This is the crux of everything. We we do not have to fear our lives and the way that we live. We don't have to fear death. We just need to follow him. What do we have to lose when we follow him? What do we have to fear? 
If we've not surrendered our lives, there is a lot to lose and there's a lot to fear. Because if the evil on this earth is even a portion of the evil in hell, I cannot begin to fathom it. I don't even want to begin to fathom it. But for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so in spite of Peter having that difficult time and not being able to catch those fish, he is fishing to try to feed himself and his disciples. And he's coming up short again and again and again. The net is empty. And I think that we do that. And I'll say this in closing. We go back to the same thing again and again and again, and we get nothing out of it. We seek for our marriages to fully satisfy us. We fill our time with cleaning and with cooking and then find ourselves going to sleep to wake up and do Groundhog's Day and start all over again. We work out, we drink lots of water, we find new recipes to make, we show love to our people. And these are all good things. They are good things, but they are nothing without the ultimate thing. And so we must abide in him by faith in order for all of these things that I'm talking about, this virtue, this character, this servitude, this love, this grace, this good, godly life. The only way that you can live this out is by abiding in him through faith. God does not call us to live a comfortable life, you guys. Francis Chan is one of my favorite teachers and he said, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that do not really matter. And it's true that God has called you to be exactly where you are, but it's also so crucial to understand that he didn't call you there so you could settle in and live your life in comfort and superficial peace. He didn't die so that you could live an ordinary life. Before he created you, he knew you. And sometimes that holy life isn't comfortable, but it is so beautiful and so good and so sweet. And so I want to remind you that modesty of the heart, virtue of the heart comes from a heart that chases after Jesus as your ultimate satisfaction. That is a life worth living. It is a life that does not accept your complacency or a lukewarm relationship with Jesus. It is a life that is accepting of our sinful nature for what it is and one that lives out true repentance. It's one that stops striving and fishing for these empty things in our world, but instead celebrates that breakfast with the Lord in spite of our shame or our regret or our past sin. That light that we are called to, this decency, this humility, this servitude, joy, freedom, fearlessness, the world cannot offer you that. Only Christ can. So stop fishing. So whether you've been a Christian for five or 50 years or you want to surrender your life to him, he loves you so much. He loves you as much as the day you were saved. He loves you as much as the day you were born. He wants to change your life in the most unimaginable way possible. He is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So let us seek him harder than we ever have before and see him in all of his glory and look forward to that day that he has so faithfully promised us where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain and show that heart, the heart of ours, that beautiful longing to be an image of Christ, to bear his image and the goodness and the forgiveness and the grace and the love, the respectability, the holiness that let us display that to our world so that they can see not us in our pride and all of our glory, but so that they can see him, Jesus, and all of his love, all of his power, and all of his glory through us. I love you guys so very much. And I pray that you will seek his face 
more than ever before. I want to close out in prayer. Dear Jesus, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this podcast and every single person listening today. I love them so, so much. And I know that you love them so, so much. And Father, I just pray that you will lift them up, that you will heal them, that you will remold them, break them and rebuild them, Father. Remind them that their salvation is a gift. It is a beautiful gift not to be numb over or confused over or broken over, Lord, but that they will be people who see you in all of your glory and all of your majesty, Father. I pray that we as a community on the Living Easy Podcast, God, that we will love and serve you and be this example of your light and your goodness and love to the people in our lives, no matter how many buttons they push on us, no matter how much they push us away or try to harm us or cause us to be conflicted, Father, that we will stand firm in your foundation, that we will stand firm in the knowledge of who you are and our promise of eternity, Lord, and the rewards that we receive are not on this earth for all of this character building and servitude and life-giving love that we are offering. The rewards for that are in heaven. So let us not seek to be praised for any of it here. Let us not seek to be emboldened or lifted on high, Father, but that we will be humbled and give honor and glory to your mighty name instead of trying to make our own names known. Jesus, we love you. You are so good. We thank you for everything that we have in our lives, the goodness and the beauty. And I pray that everyone listening today will focus on the excellent and the true and the lovely as you call us to in Philippians, Father that we won't see the bad or the hard. But if we do see that bad, Father, that we will know it's not coming from you, it's not coming from the goodness and from heaven, Father, but that it is coming from evil and darkness. And that is what we are to wage war against in our lives. We love you. We thank you. I'm so thankful for these people. God bless them. Pour your love out upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to share the love. The simple act of taking a screenshot of this episode and tagging the Living Easy podcast makes such a huge difference in my little podcasting world. If you are blessed, challenged, or impacted by this conversation, someone else you know might be too. So please feel free to share a little hope and joy with the people that you love. If you haven't already, please take 30 seconds to scroll down from this episode or the podcast homepage on iTunes to give a quick rating and review. This makes a huge difference and helps in getting great guests for future interviews. Don't forget to follow along with me on Instagram for encouragement, devotionals, and practical advice on all the life and faith stuff. Love you guys.